All right, you guys, I was trying to explain to my sister how to leave an iTunes review on a phone this mm-hmm. weekend, and I don't know how to do it. <laughs> oh, boy. Rough. I can't even laugh because I don't know how to do it either. It's really confusing. So, Zach. Zach, please mansplain. All right. I'm, <clears throat> all right. So, open up your iPhone, unlock it, use your thumbprint, face scanner, whatever, however you get into your phone, and then find the podcast app. It's purple, probably. It's the Apple podcast app. Open that up. Don't go to your normal feed. Because that's not where you want to be. That's where you listen to us. But to review us, search for us. It's the bottom right tab in the new iOS. So this is iOS 11, I'm explaining. Okay. Find Jesuitical. Mm-hmm. Once you're there, click on the show page. Okay. Scroll down. Scrolling. And you're going to see that we have 126 reviews. We Ooh, That's great. Nice. We, we want more. We want more. Way more. So then you can either tap to rate um, and or, then, write or hit review. write a review. Oh, yeah. This isn't that hard. And in the old iOS, when you find the show page, there are three tabs. Mm-hmm. Um, reviews is one of them. So you have to click on that. And then from there, you can write a review. Yay. Great. Okay. Everyone go do that. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. And now to our regular programming. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the temporarily young, slightly hip, and staunchly lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Hello, everyone. And Olga Segura. Hey, guys. How are you doing, guys? Pretty good. How are you doing? Um, it's fall, so... <laughs> <laughs> and you, you look like you're ready for fall. I am all wrapped up and cozy and <laughs> this ready is to go. <laughs> quite the change of heart from when I tried to bring us into fall. Yeah, on September 27th. Yeah, it's October 4th and Ashley is ready for fall. Oh, right. That actually is Yeah, the, fall. that is fall. <laughs> so... Okay. Whoops. But October is like the real fall. <laughs> right. well, I'm glad. It was also like 88 degrees mm-hmm. that week. So. But by drinking pumpkin spice lattes, we... PSL willed fall into fall existence. into existence. So you're welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, thank God we're not drinking PSLs this week. What are we drinking, Zach? So it is October, as Yay! Ashley pointed out. So we are. We decided it's time for a little Oktoberfest beer. So we're drinking Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevadas, Sierra Nevadas Oktoberfest. Yeah. All right. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers to fall. To fall. All right. And who's our guest, Olga? So today we're really excited. We're talking with Grammy-nominated Christian singer, Matt. Like eight-time Grammy Like eight times. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So we're talking with Matt Marr, who is a singer, songwriter, worship leader, who has a new album out in stores or wherever you get your music. Streams, right? Yeah. Um, Called Echoes. So we're going to be talking to him about the creative process behind that. Um, And I think you guys are big matt marr fans right you you're much more familiar with his music than i am yeah i he was he he was like the catholic praise and worship guy when i was growing up right so he there, there's not as many catholics in christian praise and worship music mm-hmm. and so he was like our dude right growing right up, right um he, he he made it mainstream as far as as mainstream as you can get in that world cool um and so if you've ever heard your grace is enough <laughs> That's, that's Matt. <laughs> Matt wrote that song. He's written a lot of other songs, but that's definitely the most popular. Yeah. No, and I didn't uh, get introduced to him until I was in college, and I was going to the Life Teen Mass at the local parish where they played his music, and I kind of was obsessed with the song Alive Again, which me and Zach <laughs> jammed out to in preparation for this recording. I will put you through it. Okay, fine. I'll sing it. <laughs> Crawled and shouted. <laughs> All right. So, yes, we're clearly excited yeah, to we're talk very excited. to Matt and after we talk to Matt, we've got our Consolations and Desolations, the part of the show where we tell you where we did or didn't find God this week. It feels like it's going to be a 
not find God kind of week. Yeah. Just, uh, Agreed. We'll yeah. see. So, but before that, Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. So our first story um, is what I think is on a lot of our hearts and minds, uh, the massacre in Las Vegas. On Sunday, a lone gunman killed 59 people at a music festival in Las Vegas. Um, 59 dead, over 400. Over 500. Over 500. Hospitalized. Mm -hmm. Hospitalized. so President Donald Trump is in Las Vegas today. We're recording on Wednesday. Earlier in the week, he offered some remarks after the shooting. Uh, he invoked a lot of scripture and religious language uh, in, in his speech. He said, scripture teaches us the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Um, and then he talked about this as an act of pure evil. He did not mention the word guns. No, and this this is interesting. This whole act of pure evil thing I find interesting from a theological point of view. Um, I was reading uh, one of the people I follow on the gun control debate, uh, Patrick Blanchfield wrote on this, where if it's pure evil, it's a metaphysical problem, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have to face up to the fact that there are actual policy changes, Mm -hmm. right? It's just pure evil. We couldn't have done anything about it. We are like the people of Job, and we don't actually have to reckon with the fact that there's maybe something we could have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. So, yeah, he, he said later in the speech, we pray for the day when evil is banished. And that's that's not going to happen until kingdom come. second coming of Christ. So it's it's he's not taking responsibility for the mm-hmm. fact that there's things we can do in the here and now besides pray for mm-hmm. the end right. of evil. Yeah. Olga, what was your reaction? Honestly, I think I was just I felt exhausted. Unfortunately, this kind of violence is such an ingrained part of American society and it's such an American problem and every time like we work in media so we don't have the opportunity to kind of distance ourselves from this so we have to constantly cover this and try to find new ways to be objective Um, but it's really exhausting and I I agree with your point Zach I think that it's very problematic when we refer to these things as pure evil when in reality we need to have an open dialogue about gun control we need to talk about what we can do to reform these shootings that occur in this country. And you know? not even not even these shootings. It's most people who are gunned down in the United States are not going to be in what the FBI qualifies as a mass shooting, two right. or three more. And even fewer are going to be in the headline grabbing like yeah. massacres, two, right? Mm-hmm. Two thirds of gun deaths are suicides. Right, right. exactly. And, and yet the only time that the like public debate springs up is after mass shooting events like this. And then when it does pop up, people are like, oh, this is not the time to talk about it. And I think the hard thing is after all of these, they feel like these national tragedies that where we mourn, but we don't have any concept of repentance, right? And I I don't know if this is like, because looking at this through through theological lenses, um, I don't know if we've ever done that as a country. Mm -hmm. And it just reminds, like, what if the church, like, actually outlined a radical anti-gun position, right? Like, to say that, no, this isn't worth it, the right to carry... It's not worth it. And actually, um, even just by having them, you're sort of contributing to a culture where it it, it leads to violence and death. It leads to a culture of death. What if we threw the church's weight behind this like we've thrown it behind some other issues? Mm -hmm. Yes. Like abortion or marriage or in the environment, right? Like it's it's, like the church has shown like it can make a difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a more hopeful a note to end on. We're we frustrated, started. hopeful. The line is <laughs> yeah. The line is very small. All right. What's next, Olga? So, s- sort of speaking on the church as a place of repentance, repentance and hope. 
Um, Anthony Federico, who formerly worked for ESPN, was fired for... There was a story on Jeremy Lin, former Knicks players, who's now on the Brooklyn Nets. Um, but he wrote a really offensive headline. And after ESPN received a bunch of mail, he was fired. And five years later, he's about to become a Catholic priest. So I thought this was interesting because we talked about the Virginia priest who it came out that he had a KKK past. Um, But this is very different because this guy seems to have actually repented and actually came forward before any, any reporters were asking questions. I was like, I felt a special, like, I don't know, empathy for this guy because... Mm -hmm. Uh, it sounds like he was just a head. He was a headline writer and yeah. someone who writes right. like a as someone yeah. <laughs> as people who are trying to come up with clickbaity headlines yeah. every day. <laughs> and it sounds like, and you know, you can take him in his word or not, but it sounds like he was unaware of the racial connotation mm-hmm. um, in the headline that he wrote. Yeah. Um, and after the controversy broke out, he actually had lunch with Jeremy mm-hmm. Lin, um, and they reconciled. There weren't there weren't reporters present. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, they just they talked about their faith, and like he seems to have actually changed, and he even like he says that this is what God led him to do, and he believes that Jesus is someone that's about second chances, you know? Amen. All right, our next story comes from uh, a diocese on Long Island, a diocese of Rockford Center, which is outside of New York City, which is close to us, has issued a directive to its three high schools that students and spectators are not to kneel during the national anthem or stage any protest. Um, We had a very long conversation about the NFL protests Mm -hmm. in last Mm -hmm. week's episode. So if you want to hear our hot takes on that, go back to last week. Mm -hmm. Um, This week, what were your reactions to this story, I guess? Why are Catholic institutions allowed to have these policies and sort of have their students and spectators adhere to this versus some versus an organization or institution that's not operating in a Catholic context. So I think this is why the conversations around taking a knee for the anthem get muddied because private organizations are not held by the First Amendment. It's not like Catholic school students have First Amendment rights against you know, the archdiocese or right. the diocese. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get to set the rules. So if we, if you find this offensive or, um, uh, or wrong, you, you can't appeal to rights. You have to appeal to the consciences of the administrators mm-hmm. who make these rules and the students who decide whether to follow them or not. Right. So moving towards whether they should argument yeah. or not, I, <laughs> I, I didn't go to Catholic school grant. Uh, and I just, this made me remember um, in my public school, there was always that one kid in class who, didn't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. And I was being, and I was like, weirdo, your parents must be hippies, <laughs> right? Um, but now I'm like, I wouldn't be, I wish I was that kid, right? Like, and I'm, mm-hmm. I think I would tell my kids not to pledge allegiance because I'm like, that's such a weird thing to do. Why would you pledge allegiance to anything other than your faith, right? Mm-hmm. I, I find that problematic. I don't think it has anything to do with supporting troops or veterans or anything like that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I agree. And I think when we emphasize that allegiance has to be placed, given to this inanimate object, we also ignore the fact that for a lot of people, this object is representative of oppression and colonialism and really awful things that marginalized groups have had to deal with, you know? I'm going to have to push back. <laughs> um, I think, you know, for right now, we live in a world where people are organized into nation states and it's you know it has its weaknesses and its faults but that's how we operate and if you expect someone in massachusetts to be okay with their tax dollars going to someone in arkansas there needs to be some feeling of like we are part of a national community and you build 
communities when we are such a large, diverse nation by having these civic rituals that I don't want to force anyone to participate in them. But I think that having them there serves a purpose. And the fact and we're living at a time where we're seeing how hard politics gets when people don't feel like they belong to a national community. Yeah. And I think it's a question of what are these civic rituals, right? Like, Mm -hmm. do we do they need why can't voting? Like, well, why can't voting do you be want the civic fifth ritual? graders to vote? <laughs> no, but I, I think I want fifth graders to be involved in town halls. I want fifth graders to be like go with their parents to the voting booth. But this sort of like compulsory patriotism uh, again, and this Catholic school has this diocese has the First Amendment right to force their students to do this. But I think it's a serious question of whether you want to do that because I think it goes against any type of, and these are high school students, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people who you're like, they're probably confirmed. Mm-hmm. They're adults in the church, right? And so you're asking them to make informed decisions about serious issues. And to do this, I think, takes all of the power out of what the young church could bring to this issue. It's kind of the church's teaching that everything comes down to your own conscience. Um what doesn't come down to conscience <laughs> is the existence of Santa. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, who is now officially dead. What? <laughs> Ashley, you can't just bring wait, this wait, on us. <laughs> back up, back up, back up, back up, back up. If you have young children listening, yeah, put, send them into another room. Really, though? Because we're about to get in some some nitty gritty about this is a tr- Santa Claus. This is a trigger warning, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, at least PG-13, if not R. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... Archaeologists in Turkey think they have found the grave of Santa Claus, a.k.a. St. Nicholas, who I guess I learned this at some point, but this was a good reminder that Santa Claus started out as a fourth century bishop in Asia Minor. Yeah, who knew? (laughs) Thanks, Ashley. It is a good reminder. (laughs) He doesn't live Um, on the North Pole. Yeah, so they they think they found this uh, tomb under the church, a church in southern Turkey. Um, There are disputed stories about where St. Nicholas's bones ended up. It could be Italy, it could be Ireland, or it could be here in Turkey. Um, but really, it's in every single one of us. Oh. <laughs> What's our next story, Olga? Okay, so I wanted to bring this story because today is the feast of St. Francis of Assisi. Yeah, get your pets blessed. <laughs> so for people, today, today, today Wednesday, October so 4th. I hope um, you got your pets blessed. <laughs> so for people who might not know, St. Francis of Assisi was really known for his patronage of animals and for the environment. So this new story is really significant because more than 40 Catholic institutions will be divesting from fossil fuels. This is pretty big. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, Ashley, did you think it was... <laughs> Ashley kind of poo-pooed on the story. I, I just like, I don't know. I'm. I, I, it's a very good gesture. Mm-hmm. I am just someone of the persuasion that I just think all of the fossil fuels are going to get used <laughs> and that... Just let it happen. <laughs> no, invest your money in. So no, I, I I would be for this. If you're if you're divesting from fossil fuels, invest in innovation, because I really I think that's gonna be what uh, stops us from <laughs> killing our planet, killing our planet. <laughs> in each other. They say money talks, though. Yes. Right. Yeah. So how much money are we talking here? So the sum has not been disclosed, but the volume of divesting groups is four times higher than a previous church record. Mm -hmm. And it adds to a global divestment movement, which is totaling around $5.5 trillion. So that's 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 significant. Yeah, that is an unfathomable amount of money, in fact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And it's also encouraging because earlier this year, 
sources were just citing nine institutions and that number has grown to 40. Um, and it's encouraging because they're really following in they're taking Pope Francis' Laudato Si really seriously, you know, and they're leading by example. And we're just expressing ourselves through the free market, right? Yeah, no, that's why I'm, I'm all, yeah, I'm all for it. What better place to protest? So for Happy Feast of St. Francis, get your pets blessed mm-hmm. and take your money out of Chevron. Today, we're excited to welcome eight-time Grammy-nominated Christian artist Matt Marr. Welcome to Jesuitical, Matt. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We're very excited to be joining you. We're excited to talk about your new album, Echoes, which is out on September 29th. But for our two or so listeners who might not know who you are, who do you make music for? That's a great question. I, I think... For whoever wants to hear it, do you care who like is on the other end? Or I don't have no, not no. at all, absolutely not. Um, I don't think you make music necessarily because you're interested in who's hearing it. I think you make music because you're compelled to articulate yourself and express yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's sort of a thing of I think part of the gift and the joy of it is learning who hears it hmm. and who hears it on what level. What was one time you were surprised by? An audience or... A lot of people in prison ministry, Mm. which when you stop and think about it, you're like, well, duh, you write songs that are prayers and you have a lot of time to think Mm -hmm. in in prison and and reflect. And I think that so many people who come out of the prison systems who, who are like, in some sense, have gone through a conversion, a change, transformational experience, um, for them, prayer becomes a huge part of that. Um, and so then they're like, well, somebody introduced me to your music because like the prison fellowship had a Bible study mm-hmm. or, you know, there's a chaplain who came by and somebody suggested your music. And so that, you know, there's always, there's the typical sort of, uh, I think, um, stereotypical things about the Christian listener of like, oh, it's a, it's a mom who drives a minivan. <laughs> She's in between her thirties and forties, you know, but jamming then, out to Caleb. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's, yeah, exactly. The craziest story I ever heard was, um, it was it was ironically because it was Caleb, and so it's like I think about that, and sometimes um, there was a young woman who was driving to an abortion clinic to have an abortion, and she heard a song I wrote and like pulled the car over, stopped, had this profound moment where she like. I think it's like that word like in the psalm selah like there was this moment of pause where she was able to stop and sort of consider the like mm-hmm. a, a picture that was bigger than her current um paradigm or her mm-hmm. current way of thinking and the, ironically the song was turnaround wow and which is that you know was the whole idea of that song was just trying to write a song that was more in the in line of the idea of repentance as being like a change your way of thinking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she literally turned around and drove home, and nine months later, wow. kept the baby. That's powerful. Wow. So it's like that's what I'm saying. Like I didn't wasn't thinking of that. You know, I wrote a song like "Hold Us Together" because my house went the mortgage flipped and went up. So I, I went underwater because I bought a house in 2007 in Phoenix, oh. and and I and so I was writing it about the financial crisis. But then people are like, oh, this was the first song in our wedding, like at our wedding reception, like we danced to this. And I was like, definitely wasn't thinking of that. <laughs> I've been to at least three weddings where that's been the reception yeah, of him. Yeah. yeah, it's just so, you know, and I'm like, make us a shelter, the weather, the storm. I'm like, I don't know if I want to be singing at the, the like the day I get there. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, 
you know, it's, it's not it's not that positive of a forecast. But... It was not so metaphorical. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so last week we talked to um, Audrey Assad about being a Catholic artist in a world that there aren't, a, it's not predominantly Catholic, yeah. right? Um, you've been doing praise and worship music for a long time. Have you seen that landscape change at all? I think yes and no. The Christian music industry largely got created um, two reasons. One, because the record industry realized they could make money mm-hmm. by selling music to Christians. <laughs> yep. I and mean, it's just, it's like, you know, to quote Ritz Mullins, it's his 20 year anniversary of his passing uh, a week ago. The Christian music industry is a capitalistic endeavor, period. Right. And it is. And there's nothing wrong with that. The work's a, a valuable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the other problem, and this is something that I see in the 10 years of traveling, is that we're reaching a point of critical mass where we're, there's a fundamental question being asked, I think, in all denominations, which is, does art have intrinsic value or is it only valuable as a tool for evangelization? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a very important question to ask because if art in and of itself isn't valuable, um, then it, it on an existential level, you start to say, well, then less things have meaning and everything is just functional. And that, to me, sounds like a worldview that's like depressing. Your new album, Echoes, is coming out on September 29th. Yes. Um, can you tell us what that title means? Yeah, I uh, basically, I originally... Um, wanted to make an album exploring the nature of protest. How do you how do you speak for God and just like going into the whole thing of it? And then my dad died, hmm. and um, all of a sudden these kind of big larger questions about standing up for what you believe in and standing up for your faith. I what I realized was that I was just another Christian processing grief and processing suffering. Mm-hmm. So. I think the the record kind of took a took a bit of a shift, and I've always thought worship is the place where the echoes of the past and the echoes of the future are met in the present moment. You know, um, part of living in this world is to be completely available to the present moment because it's really all we have. So I found myself wanting to hold on to songs or put together a collection of songs that reverberated things that have already been said that are true, that are important to say in the face of adversity and suffering. Uh, one of the other themes that's sort of like run through this album, but also a lot of your last work is, is unity, right? Mm. That's a big thing for you. Um, right now, do you feel like there's a tension between unity and justice? Like are some things meant to make some people uncomfortable? Um, well, I think there's always going to be things that make people uncomfortable. Or think, and are going to divide people. Like Jesus said, I came to, right? I came yeah, to bring division. I yeah, Jesus came, you know, said, I, I came to, you know, not bring peace, but bring division. There was a quote in the 30s about the, the press. The role of the press is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. That's also a very synonymous description, I think, of what the gospel does. Mm-hmm. I think it comes to bring comfort to those who are experiencing affliction and to shake up those who are comfortable in their paradigm of thinking. Has your music done that? I I think I've tried. I think my very <laughs> presence has done it. Yeah. I think I would definitely Or say if not that. your music, um, maybe I I know you've made comments on current affairs. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I mean here's the thing. People 
think, oh, well, you write music about the cross, so you think this way and this way, and then I'll make a statement talking about, you know, the need for solidarity with immigrants. And people are like, well, wait a second, you're not allowed to do that. And I'm like, no, because that's actually what it means. To- Go back to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there was, there was definitely a few of those, you know, um, on, my, on my Facebook page. But it's, it's like what I said was, first of all, if we're going to have these kind of conversations, you can't take everything personally. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't, when, when someone, you know, responds that way or lashes out, I don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. I take it as they're really passionate about what they believe in, which is good. We need passion. We need healthy disagreement. We definitely don't need sentimentality. And that's not the unity necessarily that I'm trying to promote of like, hey, everybody, let's just all get along and mm-hmm. forget our differences. Like, Hands across America. <laughs> yeah, like I don't, I don't, because I don't think that helps. I think what it is is, there are there are places where we can find a need to pursue the common good, mm-hmm. and I think those areas are really really important now more than ever. Um, and we're we're talking about like suffering versus protest. Um, but you have you have a song called "Picket Sign," <laughs> the cross lifted up like a picket sign. So that's I mean that is the cross is a sign of suffering, and it is, it, the, is it in some that way is the a juxtaposition. Su- that's exactly like that was the point of that song that. Ultimately, the cross in itself is God's objection to death. Mm-hmm. And the way he did it was by lifting himself up, you know. And so, it, you know, the album cover literally was a last-minute thing. It came. Uh, Can you describe that for people who haven't yeah, seen it Yeah, it's basically, yet? it's this picture we got. We think we've been trying to track down the origins of it, but we actually think it was from Russia. <laughs> and it's basically backward shot of people holding picket signs but you don't see the front you only see the back of it you know people are like well what does the cover mean you know and i'm like well it's this is this is us this is the world in which we live now everybody with their platforms everybody's holding a sign and sort of in the middle of all that in the middle of us expressing our grief and our suffering however first world or third world problems they are, sort of in the center of it is Jesus lifted up, taking all the suffering of mankind, but also meeting us in the midst of it. And that's that solidarity that without it, I I fear that the gospel rings hollow on American culture. Right now, there's a tendency, every argument becomes a political argument, which I think is really dangerous, um, first and foremost, because um, politics is not my worldview. The gospel is. So I don't, I don't want to analyze things through politics anymore. I want to analyze things the way I'm called to, which is through the eyes and heart of Christ. A lot of what you're saying is very in line with what we hear from Pope Francis. You mm. know, as Christians, we can't be Christians of the right or the left. Um, you met him over the summer. Was that while you were in the middle of finishing up this album or like, did he influence you at all? What did you, pretty much, what did you talk to the Pope about (laughs) is what we want to (laughs) hear. My favorite moment was when this children's pastor at a church uh, in Portland said, if you could teach my kids anything, what would you teach them? And he talked about sharing, Mm -hmm. uh, the importance of sharing early on. And then he talked about worship. And he said, I'd teach your kids to, to worship God, particularly through singing. 
<laughs> he said, uh, which I, I you're <laughs> pretty huge pat on the back. <laughs> See, I thought I had read that someone said that, and I thought that he had just said that because you were there. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, the good, the, the great thing is, I can I can confidently say that no pope has any idea really who I am, which is really great, <laughs> contrary to to whatever certain people think. Um, but he, you know, because he said he said teach your kids to sing praise and worship to God. It is, and I love this. He said it is. It is the highest form of prayer because it is prayer without self-interest. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that comment brought me to tears because I, as a as a as a young adult living in Phoenix and passionate about the church and ministry and music, you know, sitting on a back porch, drinking coffee with my Bible open, I would sing out my heart to God because I wanted to. Nobody was putting a gun to my head or like saying like this is what you're supposed to do. I did it because I was in love with doing it, and it uh, there was no self interest in it in the sense of uh, like you weren't I was, selling merch at the back. Yeah, there no, there was none of that was happening. You know. Um. So you went to a Jesuit high school. Is this I, correct? I did. I did. So I grew up in Newfoundland, Canada, and um, uh, I went to uh, Gonzaga Regional High School, hmm. and um. Yeah, learned all about the Society of Jesus. I mean, I remember being uh, a sophomore in high school, maybe, and watching Black Robe, the story of the, uh, you know, the Brebeuf and the, and the Jesuits martyrs in mm-hmm. Canada, um, which is very harrowing for a teenager, not really understanding <laughs> what am I getting into. And it's funny, um, the principal obviously was was such, uh, uh, Father Lionel Tillia was such a, had such a profound impact, I think, on my life. He was such a, steady, constant force. My senior year of high school brought me into his office because he wanted me to go to Camp Econ in Ontario because he's like, I really think you should pray about your vocation. And I was like, nope, I want to be married. Yep. <laughs> I was going to ask, did they get, did they try to get you? Or? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. No, and they did. And, and honestly, like, I, I, I mean, he just, I think he saw within me the propensity specifically to ask questions about my faith. Do you, do you see any Jesus? Jesuit influence in your faith life now or Huge. your music? I mean, yeah. So I would say, so when I moved to Arizona, I had a conversion. Somebody handed me um, the spiritual exercises. <laughs> and reading that had a very profound impact on my life. And I, I used to say, I think that the gift of Jesuit discernment could help save the world. Because I do think that the problem that we face right now in Christianity, and as some as a Catholic who spends a ton of time with Christians from other denominations, one of the things in which the church in America is lacking is discernment, spiritual discernment. I think our priests are overtaxed. Most priests only hear from people when something bad happens or when they're going to be criticized for something. Um, so the idea of spiritual direction, the idea of spiritual discernment, um, is it's such a it's such a low point. I mean, most people. Uh, tend to do more of an Augustinian view, which is love God and do what you like, <laughs> which is great. But I think the idea, um, and I heard uh, Cardinal Taglia at a uh, uh, conference promoting Alpha in England, who gave just such a eloquent, brief testimony as to the gift of discernment that everybody walked away and was like, those four minutes were the most profound thing I heard the whole conference. Because he just talked about learning to sort through thoughts, feelings, desires, halfway through the day and at the end of the day. And just that, just such a, that little practical application, I think of Jesuit spirituality, it blew so many people away where they were like, I never thought about 
that before. I never thought to actually stop and say, wait, what are my thoughts about this? What are my feelings towards this? What are my desires saying about me? Mm-hmm. And maybe I should actually take time and sort through that. So it's had a, I would say Jesuit spirituality has had a tremendous impact on my life. All right. So unfortunately, this will have to be our last question. Um, okay. But we ask it to all of our guests. If you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or real, who would it be? Oh, man, I'm going to tear up. Um, when I was um, when I was 21 years old, um, or 20 years old was when I moved to America. And that summer, had a conversion experience and like through Catholics who are part of the charismatic renewal. And it was an amazing time, but I found like that November, my grandmother died, my dad's mother. And I found out after she died that she used to pray over me when I was a baby because she was basically the lady who organized the prayer meeting in the small town where she lived and I had this immediate sense of like the tangibility of her praying for me, like all through my teenage and young adult years. And the idea that when I was an infant, she was spiritually investing in my future and sowing into me by praying for me. She used to always, at night, she'd have a glass of scotch and she'd come downstairs with her teeth in a glass. <laughs> <laughs> Towards the end, like she'd mix them up, so she'd come down with her false teeth and a glass of scotch. <laughs> awesome. um, well, without a shadow of a doubt, I—I I mean, yeah, she would be canonized. I mean, I like—I think when she got to heaven, there were a lot of people happy to see her. Yeah, yeah. What was her name? Her name was Mary. Mary. Wow. Well, I think Saint Mary is still praying for you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. The album is Echoes, and you can find it wherever. Music is sold. Yes. All right, Matt, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Matt. Bind us together as one We would see our fellow men Reaching out beyond ourselves Bind us together as one We would find the greater good Searching for a common ground as your daughters and your sons bind us together as one. Uh, Ashley, should we do some listener feedback? Yeah, we should. Uh, what are you eating, Zach? Well, so we actually had our first bar snacks sent to us. Yeah, so in really addition to exciting. enjoying the Oktoberfest beer from Sierra Nevada, we are enjoying uh, candy corn that I made. You Just did, kidding. You didn't I didn't make it. <laughs> but my name's on this bag. This is from Zachary Candy. Uh, it must be an Iowa thing, yes? Yeah. Well, it's a Midwestern thing because Mary Quinlan from Iowa Falls, Iowa, sent us this great care package of candy corn and peanuts. And she said she always hated candy corn, too sweet. But if you mix it with peanuts, it's delicious. Mm-hmm. And we, we have to agree. Can confirm. Um, and then we also got a really, I this is one of the like best emails or one of my favorite emails we've gotten from Rabbi Paula Rose. So she wrote in to let us know that when she was giving her sermon um, for Rosh Hashanah, uh, one of the holiest days on the Jewish calendar, Mm -hmm. um, she referred to Jesuitical and our consolations and desolations. um, Something I like when I heard that 
she did this, I was like, wow, this was not something I ever expected. Like mm-hmm. this Catholic podcast to leap out of the headphones yeah. and into a Jewish congregation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super cool. It was it was really great. So thank you so much, Rabbi Paul Rose. I hope um, some of your congregants, you know, get something out of. Yeah, you are know, able to recognize God's look, presence mm-hmm. in their lives. Yeah. Speaking of which. Oh, boy. <clears throat> Time for our Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. Rebranded uh, this week as Desolations. <laughs> yeah, just, just Desolations. <laughs> All right, Zach, what do you have? <sighs> Sorry, that was a little much. Oh, Lord. But my desolation this week, very seriously, is that I'm so tired. Um, I had a great weekend uh, visiting my dad in South Carolina, but... Um, I took a super early morning flight uh, Monday morning to make it to work, and it's just sort of like propelled me into the week the wrong way. Um, and I've been in this like sort of like mode where my blind I have blinders on, yeah. and uh, just trying to like make it through the day, like sh- get to work, do the work at work, go home, cook, mm-hmm. eat, sleep. Yeah, go. you barely pestered me about eating lunch with you. No, it's true. <laughs> I've like not been so. My like emotional availability has been absent, and that's also translated to my spiritual mm-hmm. uh, availability. I think I'm not mm-hmm. just with the blinders on and only focusing on that. I'm not noticing God's presence in my life, and not um, other people's presence in my life as much either. Yeah. Mm. All right. What about you, Olga? So we discussed the Las Vegas shooting earlier in our SOTs, and that's been really difficult to deal with because as we work in media, we don't have the I guess, privilege of sort of removing ourselves from this on a day-to-day basis. So we've had to cover this, whether it's in editing a piece on this or write on it ourselves. Um, and normally when things like this happen, I try to, you know, have find some kind of distance, but I haven't been able to. Um, but what I have found myself doing is just not going on Twitter. And this is like, for me, the place where I find community with people that I don't know, whether it's people who align with me religiously or politically Um, This is a place where I find a lot of the sense of community that I find, you know, and I have not been on it this week as very little. Um, So I haven't been finding God's presence and I've been removing myself from being in that community with other Christians who I don't see on a day to day basis, but we interact on Twitter. Um, So it's been really desolating. Yeah. Um, Ashley, what do you got? Yeah. Also desolation related to uh, Las Vegas. I, I found myself pretty numb after the i you know i got the news alert in the middle of the night and kind of just silenced it and then in the morning didn't want to read about it mm-hmm. i just kind of didn't let it get to me i um you know in past events like this because there have been many i feel right. angry or sad and i didn't feel either of those um which is i it's not a good thing like i don't know zach i was talking to you about it earlier and like you had some righteous anger about the lack of political action and i i did i was kind of jealous i was like i don't feel that i don't feel Mm -hmm. anything um and that's i don't know where to see god in that because you know emotions like anger and sadness are appropriate and healthy and they propel you to act Mm -hmm. and i just feel nothing um so it's hard to see where i'm which direction i'm being pulled yeah by it's easier god. to find <laughs> god in something rather than nothing at all yeah. yeah yeah um so that was hard or yeah but um <laughs> so like uh our 
Jesuit formator Eric said, uh, good good desolations this week, guys. Good desolations. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like the point, yeah. Point is to be honest, not to yeah. end on a happy note necessarily. So yeah. on that note. <laughs> Jesuitical is brought to you by American Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Engineering by Colleen Dully and Antonio Delaware Bruce. Adverbs provided by Amanda Jordan. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. And please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And we taught you how to leave a review. So go and do that. Shout out this week to Bibleman333. And send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis and Olga Segura. We will see you next week. <laughs>